This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. do something a little bit slightly different today. Uh, If we could, I want us to all stand together. We're going to read a passage of scripture together. Uh, If you want, let's, uh, if you're able, you can flip over to uh, Matthew chapter 25. uh, And she's going to have it on the screen here. And it's a, it's a decent sized portion of scripture, but I figured we could stand and uh, I'll read it. Just we'll stand out of honor of God's word. So uh, we'll give you a second to flip there. Um. We're going to read the parable of the talents. Hmm. (laughs) All right. Uh, We'll start uh, here in verse uh, number 14, and I'll read it for us. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant, uh, the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, Their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. Uh, Verse 20, the servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. The master said, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small and out, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. And then verse 24. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. Verse 26, it says, But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you at least deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have earned uh, some interest on it. Then he ordered, Take the money from this servant and give it to the one who has the ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And let's pray together. Father God, in Jesus' name, I just ask today that uh, as I bring forth your word, you would help me to speak the words you would have me to speak. I ask that you'd help us all here to have attentive hearts and attentive minds to receive what you have for us, Lord. Uh, And ultimately, I ask that you'd just help us to grow and become more like you in the way that we handle our finances and just in the way that we live our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. And you can be seated. So uh, my title today, uh, and for those of you that have been around very long, you know, I only know like three sermons, so I kind of... Preach the same one. Once a year they let me preach, so I just changed the title and preach the same sermon. So, 
but hopefully, hopefully you still get something out of it. Um, today the title is called, uh, The Stewardship Principle. Subtitle, God Won't Give You More Than You Could Handle. Uh, and I always, uh, every time I preach this message, I have to clarify what I mean by this phrase because most of the time when you hear this phrase, it's after something bad has happened in someone's life and some crazy old religious person is trying to make them feel better and they say, well, that's okay. God must have known you can handle it. God won't give you more than you can handle. But for those of us that have been around this church for more than three minutes, we know that God is not the one who puts bad things in our lives. John 10.10 says it's the thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus comes to give us life and to give us life in abundance. Uh, Another translation says he comes so that we can have and enjoy life. So if it's something that's bad in your life, it didn't come from God. It came from the thief very clearly in John 10.10. And then uh, James 1.13 says that when someone's tempted, uh, they should not say that God is tempting me because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So all of these bad things in your life, they don't come from God. They come from the thief. Plain as day in the Bible. Uh, But let me throw in one side note I always like to throw in here. Um, When you do have bad things in your life, for example, if you leave your front door open and your dog escapes and runs away, God didn't take your dog from you. You just left your front door open and you were stupid. (laughs) Or uh, if you have, like, uh, say, an old Uncle Chester who smoked – Seven packs of cigarettes a day from the time he was seven till the time he was 70, and then he dies of lung cancer. God did not single out Uncle Chester and throw lung cancer on him. He brought that on himself by smoking all those cigarettes. But anyways, besides all of that, God only gives us good things. James chapter 1, verse 17 says that every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like sh- like shifting shadows. So all of that out of the way, what do I mean then by God won't give you more than you can handle? And that's where I want to talk today a little bit about stewardship. And stewardship is, uh, it used to be a, a long time ago, everybody knew what that word means, but most of us now have no clue what stewardship means. Does anybody in here know what stewardship means? Like three people. So I'll give you, I just Googled stewardship just to see what it means. And it says the job of supervising or taking care of something, such as an organization or a property. So stewardship just means that you're taking care of something. So that's so when you hear stewardship, it just means you're managing or taking care of something. And now uh, I want to read us a, a portion of scripture that illustrates this point uh, about how God can't give us more than we can handle. Second uh, Kings chapter 4. Uh, and uh, I think I'll just read it just for time's sake today. Second Kings chapter 4, and we'll read verses 1 through 7. It says, One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord. But now a creditor has come, threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? Nothing at all, she said, except a flask of oil, uh, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many jars, uh, empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors. Then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your, your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it's filled. 
So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her, and she filled one after another. And soon, every single container was filled to the brim. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. Uh, Verse 7, it says, when she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, Now sell the olive oil and pay your debts, and you and your sons can live on what is left over. So what I mean by God won't give you more than you can handle is, uh, you can see in this uh, story, when she could no longer physically contain the blessing or the miracle from God, that's when it stopped flowing in her life. Uh, and it's just like uh, the parable of the talents that we started out reading. Uh, verse 29 of that, uh, that talks about, To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. So God can't give you more than you can handle, or it's just going to mess you up. Uh, if you can't properly handle or steward Money or blessing from the Lord, it can definitely limit the extent to which God can bless you. God has to see that we can properly handle uh, what he's going to give us before he can bless us even more. Um, and a lot of people think, that, you know, if I just if I won the lottery or if I had some rich uncle and he died and left me a million dollars, it would fix everything. That would just all my problems would disappear. But. Actually, they've done tons of studies on this, uh, and uh, there's the, uh, there was a study that done they did a few years ago, the National Endowment for Financial Education, and it showed that 70% of people who had unexpectedly come into large sums of money ended up completely broke within seven years. So all of these lottery winners, within seven years, they're back as broke as they were before they won a penny. Or here's uh, another one. of NFL players are bankrupt, completely bankrupt, within 12 years of retirement. So these guys make all these millions of dollars, and within 12 years, they have nothing to show for it. Or here's one, maybe you might hit a little closer to the home. Uh, How many of us got stimulus checks a couple months back? Can anyone in here even tell me what you spent it on? Some of you, some of you. I see, yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah, you've been through FPU, so you don't count. Just kidding. <laughs> um, but a lot of people, they get, it said the average check was $1,800. A lot of us got a lot more than that. And a lot of us probably have no clue what even happened to it. So the answer to your financial problems uh, is not going to be some random unexpected windfall or money raining down from heaven. God can't bless you with more money if you foolishly handle it because you'll end up just worse off than you were before. And this is something that uh, my wife and I have seen in our life. Uh, now, the Lord's always taken care of us. We've never been homeless or on the, on the verge of salvation. But, uh, what? Salvation? Sorry. <laughs> We've never been on the verge of starvation. <laughs> uh, we've got hecklers in the front row here. My, my own brother, nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. But uh, we we always were able to eat, and we always had a roof over our head, but uh, we were definitely, we were making some really stupid uh, choices, and it definitely limited the way God could bless us. Uh, uh, when we got married, we had only been married a few months, and we just started racking up credit card debt on the stupidest things. Like, uh, I remember one time, 
uh, we didn't have money to go uh, for dinner, so we decided, well, we'll just put it on the credit card. And then instead of, like, you know, going to McDonald's and spending five bucks, we're like, well, it's going on the credit card anyways. So we went and spent, out like, a hundred bucks on dinner and put it on the credit card. Uh, and we just did a series. At one time, we uh, forgot to, we forgot that rent was coming up, so we had to pay our rent on our credit card. Um, just made all sorts of stupid decisions. Within a few months, uh, we were $27,000 in debt on, on uh, unsecured credit card debt, just on stupid stuff. Um, and we had to learn how to biblically handle money. We, uh, I remember uh, Julie started telling me she wanted me to go to this FPU class with her. Um, but our church in, in Denver, where we lived at the time, was holding it on Sunday night. And I'm like, I'm not going on Sunday night. That's Sunday night football. <laughs> and... Uh, she slowly convinced me to go because there was like a bad game on that night. And somehow it really stuck with me. It was probably, I think the Cowboys were playing. Uh, oh. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> she convinced me to go and it really stuck with me. And uh, the next thing you know, I was the one dragging her to class. And we decided we were going to start paying off our debt. And we weren't making much money, but we're like, you know what? You've, a lot of you have heard this testimony. We're like, we're just going to. Take our time, and we'll pay it off as much as we can. But once, it's almost like God's like, okay, I see they're doing the right thing now. Uh, with Unexpectedly, within a short period, we both got raises on our job and doubled our income within like a couple of months. Um, and so something we thought was going to take us like three or four years ended up taking us, Julie, how many months? Fourteen months. Yeah, yeah, I have it written down here. Within 14 months, <laughs> we were completely debt-free other than our mortgage. And that's how Julie and I have been for uh, over 10 years now. Not a penny of debt other than our mortgage. And as some of you might know, uh, about three months ago, we actually paid off our mortgage. So, So we have not a penny of debt, no car payments, no student loans, no credit cards, not even a mortgage. Um, And here's... Even the interesting part, uh, at the time in our lives, uh, just to these last couple of months, when you, in the natural, I least need more money, uh, right after we paid off our mortgage, my job offered me another promotion. So uh, the Lord has just continued to see us handling money properly, and he's continued to pour out this blessing on our life. So uh, now I've just got another raise, and since we have no payments of any kind, we're able to give generously like never before. And just like we were just saying in the financial faith confession, we have more than enough to take great care of our family and give generously into the kingdom of God. Um, and I, think, I don't think if, if we were back uh, at home watching Cowboys games on Sunday night football and, and putting dinner on our credit cards, I don't think the Lord could bless us like he has. Uh, and so what I want to talk just for a, a few short minutes here. Um, is, well, then in that case, how do you handle money biblically? Um, and uh, there is a, a book where I got a lot of these principles. It's called uh, Total Money Makeover. So they've got copies in the bookstore. You can pick one up if you want. Or uh, at the end, I'll talk about uh, FPU, which is a class, a nine-week class, that discusses a lot of these things I'm going to talk about uh, in detail. But let's uh, talk for just a minute about how to uh, handle money biblically. The first thing that you need to do to handle money biblically is you need to get out of debt. Uh, Proverbs 22, verse 7, says, The rich 
rule over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Anytime the, and this is just one example, I could find a bunch of other ones, but anytime the Bible mentions debt, it's always in a negative context. The Bible doesn't have anything good to say about debt. Um, and uh, it's nice to hear that the Bible says that, but it's not just the Bible that says it. It's uh, natural wisdom shows the same thing. They actually did a study a few years ago where they interviewed the Forbes 400, which are the 400 richest people in North America. And uh, 67% of these people are first-generation rich. That means 7 out of 10 of them didn't inherit a penny. They all made it, started at zero, and became the 400 richest people in America. And 75% of these people said the number one key to becoming wealthy is to get out of debt and stay out of debt. You have to get out of debt and stay out of debt because if you're just throwing all of, all of your income away on car payments, credit cards, whatever, you're not going to ever make any progress. So the first thing you've got to do is you have to quit borrowing money if you want to get out of debt. You can't get out of a hole if you're continuing to dig out the bottom un- from underneath yourself. Um, Dave Ramsey calls it having plastic surgery. And he does this thing where he'll, he has these gigantic, comically oversized scissors that he cuts up everybody's credit cards with. Um, but you have to quit borrowing money. And just to be clear, debt is anything that you have payments on. If you can't pay cash, then you really honestly can't afford it. So that would be anything like student loans, uh, 90 days, same as cash. My personal pet peeve uh, is car payments because cars go down in value. So you're putting your money on something. You're putting all of your hard-earned money on something that goes in down in value. And just to show you how silly of a decision this is, uh, the average car payment is $478. If you took $478 – And you put it in some basic mutual fund type investment from age 30 to age 70. When you reach age 70 and it's retirement time, your car payment would turn into $5.6 million. That's pretty nuts to me. Or or your your $478 could turn your $20,000 car into a $5,000 car. So it's your choice. You want the $5,000 car that's just going down in value? Or all these millions of dollars for retirement. But if you avoid debt, there are going to be times that you're not going to be able to do things that you really, really desperately want to do. But you just got to learn how to say no. Because essentially debt is is like the adult version of a a four-year-old throwing a tantrum in the grocery aisle because they want to, you know, a candy or whatever. It's like, I want it, I want it, I want it. But you have to learn how to say no to yourself. Um, <laughs> it's definitely true. Um, in fact, uh, Hebrews twelve eleven uh, tells us that uh, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So you have to discipline yourself if you want this harvest of righteousness and blessing in your life. And something else uh, about debt is that using debt, it could also hinder blessings from the Lord. Um, If your go-to anytime there's a crisis 
is to just, well, I'll just, I'll take out a loan or I'll put it on my credit card. You could be hindering a blessing uh, from the Lord. And a very good recent example of this is uh, everybody feel the nice cool air in this building. I don't know how many of you were here last summer when it was like 90 degrees in here on this exact same Sunday. Um, the church desperately needed new ACs, and a lot of churches, when they reached that situation, they would just go to the bank and take out a loan and pay the, take, uh, to get their ACs, and they'd be paying on them for the next, you know, 15, 20 years. What we decided as a church, we've decided that just like uh, me personally and just like a lot of you in the congregation, the church does not borrow money for anything. We don't have any church credit cards. We don't have loans for any of the equipment here. Everything we do is cash. So when we desperately, I mean, we live in Barstow. It's like 115 half the time here. You need AC. It's an emergency to have ACs. But we decided, you know what, we're going to trust the Lord. We're not going to take out a loan. And so uh, <clears throat> over about a month, we just took up a few offerings. Uh, and no, there wasn't like any person, one person gave like, you know, here's $50,000, go buy your ACs. It was all of us chipping together and just throwing, chipping away at it. And within, amen. <clears throat> within, a, what, within about a month, we had raised cash to buy all new ACs for the entire building. Amen. And if we had gone out and taken out a loan, God, that we would never have given God a chance to work like that. We'd just be paying away on it every month, which is what, unfortunately, a lot of us do in our personal lives. Well, i got to have it so you don't even give God a chance to work. You just go put it on the credit card. So ultimately, uh, Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the borrower is slave to the lender, and you cannot have two masters. So you have to get out of debt. That's the most important thing for handling money God's way. Uh, the second thing uh, is that you need to learn to act your wage. <laughs> And another way of saying this is that your income has to be more than your outgo. You cannot continuously spend more than you make. We're not in Congress. This is the actual real world. If you consistently spend more than you make, you're going to eventually end up bankrupt. Um, look here what Proverbs uh, chapter 21 says. Uh, it says, uh, and I'll just for time's sake, so we're not here all day, I'll read it. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Fools spend whatever they get. So if you're constantly spending more than you make, the Bible here is calling you a fool. And it wasn't me. That was, This is the Bible. Um, so what we have to do is we have to learn to be content instead through Christ. Now, uh, there's a real famous scripture, Philippians 4.13. Does anybody know what that one says? It says, uh, I'll just quote it for those of us, maybe we don't all know it. It says, it's probably one of the most famous scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And that's a very, very powerful verse. But a lot of people don't read the verses leading up to that to get the context of this verse. And so today, 
I'm going to do just that for you. <laughs> uh, let's uh, in Philippians four verse eleven. Uh, it says, uh, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. So he's learned the secret to living no matter what his circumstances are. And what is that secret? This is where verse 13 comes in. The secret to contentment is I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You have to rely on Christ rather than spending all of this money. You have to learn how to be content. And like, and like I was saying earlier, uh, getting a, a huge raise isn't always the answer. Because you can't out-earn stupid decisions. You'll never make enough money to out-earn stupidity. <laughs> uh, think of all these NFL players. They make the income is not their problem. They make plenty of money, and they just all you see them on the news all the time buying stupid cars and doing stupid stuff, and then they're all broke as soon as they're out of the league. As soon as their uh, income source is cut off, they have no money to show for it. Uh, something Dave Ramsey says is that it's stupid to spend money to buy things you don't need to impress people that you don't like. (laughs) You have to learn to be content. And so the rule of thumb we use is that uh, if your broke friends are making fun of you, then you're probably on the right track. Something, uh, uh, Julie and I have been teaching this course for several years. I remember when we were teaching it in Denver one time, uh, we had this couple uh, come through our class, uh, and they came from kind of a, a poorer family. And uh, But the, in their culture, the way people uh, judged if you were doing good uh, with money or not was how many cars you had. And so it was a, a husband and wife, and, a, uh, and they had three cars. So one of them is just constantly parked. And so they decided, you know what, we're serious. We want to get out of debt. Three cars with payments. We're going to sell one of these cars. And uh, as soon as they sold one of these cars, they had everybody at church, oh, oh are you guys okay? Do you, need, do you need money for food or something? And it's just because everybody's like, well, if you don't have three cars, then there's something wrong with you. And so when they learned uh, that if everybody's making fun of me, that probably means I'm on the right track. And you know what? Uh, they talked to us uh, a few months after that, and they were completely debt-free. The first people in their family, they're now saving for retirement. And they've got a good life ahead of them. And it all started because they're doing things contrary to what everybody else was telling them. First uh, uh, Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, Yet true godliness with contentment is itself great wealth. So true wealth is being content in God. It's not the material possessions you have. It's just being content with with God. So you have to act your wage. Number three here uh, is you need to get on a budget. So this is something else Dave Ramsey says. He says, "If if you manage money for you incorporated the way you manage money for you now, would you hire yourself or fire yourself? 
So if you were in charge of managing money for a company called You Incorporated, and you did the same job you're doing for your personal finances, would you hire or fire yourself? And I think a lot of people would unfortunately have to fire themselves. It's kind of like the parable of the talents we were reading earlier. That the the the, the manager who went away, he wanted someone that were actually going to do something with his money, rather than just whatever, stick it in, the, in a hole in the ground. Uh, let's look here at uh, Luke chapter 14. And I'm trying to have lots of scripture in here so you can see that these are biblical principles. It's not, and a lot of them are, you would think are common sense, but they're biblical principles. These are all straight out of the Bible. Um, Luke chapter 14 and verse 28. And this is uh, Jesus. Uh, he said, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. So you have to have a plan for your money. And uh, something that I've heard said is that a lot of people don't like the idea of, of doing a budget. Maybe they feel restricted or whatever. But honestly, a budget is just telling your money where to go instead of always asking where it went. It's having a plan for your money instead of just wondering all the time where it went. So what you need to do is every month from now on, you need to do a written budget. Uh, if you're married, you need to do it with your spouse so you're on the same page. Because if not, you're going to be completely opposite directions one of you trying to mess up the other one's plan or something. But you have to do it together with your spouse, and you need to stick to it. And uh, it's important that you do it with your spouse and that you stick to it. Um, and we won't cover uh, – I've done lessons where I've got up here with a, with a, a, with a, a whiteboard and, and showed us how to do a basic budget, and we won't do that today. But uh, if you want to learn more about it, come to this FPU class, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. But it's going to show you – how to do a budget and how to work it with your spouse, or if you're single, how you can work it as a single person. Because uh, when you have this plan for your money, it's you'll feel like you've gotten a raise. Because you'll see, uh, you'll find little areas that you didn't realize you were spending in, or or you'll find ways you can cut bills. So you need to get on a budget and stick to it. The next thing you need to do is you need to number four, save money. Proverbs 21, verse 20, it says, The wise store up choice, choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. The wise store up choice food and olive oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And this is, once again, if you read the book of Proverbs, uh, it uses that word fools a lot because it's talking about people who just... Uh, have no control, have no self-control, no discipline. And so we need to not be fools. We need to save our money. Now, there are uh, three main basic reasons to save. Uh, the first one is you need to save for emergencies. Uh, there was a recent study done where they showed that 63% of Americans couldn't handle a $500 expected bill. Like, if they get a $500 bill in the mail that they weren't expecting, they have no clue what to do. And it's going to just really throw them off. 
and that's not good. <laughs> so that's why you want to save for emergencies. You need to start. Uh, if you take a few with us, you'll learn that the first thing we're going to do is just save $1,000. And it sounds like some people it sounds like a lot. To some people it doesn't sound like very much at all. But you start by saving $1,000, and then we're going to move on and pay off all of our debt and everything. And after you pay off your debt, you're going to, you know, full – Bump up your savings to get three to six months worth of expenses, but you have to save for emergencies. Uh, I remember uh, when Julie and I started taking the class, uh, it was not too long uh, after we had just saved up our $1,000, and I was driving home from work in Denver uh, in the middle of a snowstorm, and I had my tire blow out on me. <laughs> and uh, I'm not the most handy person. So I'm out there getting sleeted on in snow, and it's freezing out trying to change my tire. Uh, and I was super ticked. But then about halfway through changing the tire, I realized, wait a minute. As soon as I get this tire on, I can just go to the tire shop and put a new tire on because I've got money in the bank. And so even though I was still cold and wet and miserable, it made it slightly less better. Instead of being a money emergency and a tire emergency, it was just a tire emergency. So I, like three hours later, got the tire on. <laughs> I'm telling you, that there's a reason I play the piano. I can't. But uh, I got that tire on, and I drove it straight to the tire shop. Said, put four new tires on there, and it wasn't a big deal at all. But for a lot of people, that would be a huge emergency where you'd have to be thinking, you know, oh, man. Okay, well, I guess maybe I can just pay half the electric bill and we'll just have to cut back on groceries this week. If something as simple as that happens. Uh, you want to save for emergencies and you want to save to pay cash for things. And I know over the last few months, uh, cash hasn't been the most popular thing. Uh, but McDonald's actually did a study where they found that uh, people tend to, when they're using your credit card or your debit card, you tend to spend 47% more when you use a card instead of cash because you don't feel you don't feel the spit that you're spending. So to this day, when Julie and I go to the grocery store, we spend cash. Uh, and there's a lot of things that we spend cash on just because it helps us to spend less. But also, um, cash equals deals. Um, I remember... Uh, when Julie and I first moved to California, we needed some furniture for our house, so we saved up, I think, fifteen or sixteen hundred bucks, and that's what we had. And we had it in cash. We went to Ashley Furniture, uh, and we found the furniture we wanted, and it was twenty-one hundred dollars, I think. And so uh, this salesman was really trying to get us in, and I told him, I was like, "Don't mention payments, because if you mention ninety-day savings cash, I'm just going to walk out the door and go to the furniture store across the street because I don't do payments." But he really wanted to make the sale, so we wheeled and dealed for a little bit, uh, and eventually we were able to get that uh, $2,100 worth of furniture for our $1,600 cash that we had. And I just pulled out $1,600 bills because we'd been saving it up, paid it, and we got a deal, whereas most people would finance it. And uh, that's the other thing. The 90 days same as cash that most people do, um, it says 80% of it is not even paid off within 90 days. And so if you don't pay off the 90-day savings cash on your furniture within 90 days, they convert it into a 24 to 38% loan with a prepayment penalty. 
So even if you decide, okay, I've got money, I'm going to pay it off early now, they, they penalize you for paying it off early. So it's not really 90 days same as cash. It's 90 days and then 38% interest. Whereas ours, we turn $2,100 worth of furniture for $1,600. Because cash equals deals. And another one that people talk to me about a lot is, uh, is car payments. Well, you've got to have a car payment. And here's, I, we already discussed earlier how the average car payment is $478. If you take $478 and stick it in a cookie jar for 10 months, after 10 months you would have saved up $5,000. Drive that car for 10 months, trade it in, and continue to save that $478, and within 20 months you've paid cash for a $10,000 car. Does that make sense to everybody? And if you wanted a $15,000 car, do the same thing. Save $500 for 10 more months. Trade in your $10,000 car. You got $5,000. And within 30 months, you paid cash for a $15,000 car. It's not as hard as you might think. And a lot of people complain, uh, well, I want something that's reliable and safe. Uh, I've known plenty of people who have driven new cars off the parking lot and the transmission blow out three weeks later. So thinking that just because you're buying something new guarantees reliability and safety is not necessarily true. And then I personally, uh, right before I moved from Indiana to Denver, uh, I noticed that my older brother Jason had an old uh, 1987 Chevy Nova sitting in his barn that he wasn't driving. So I bought this Chevy Nova off of my brother for $200. And it was not a nice car, but I only spent $200 because that's all I had. And I drove back and forth half a dozen times from Indianapolis to Denver in that Chevy Nova without any issues. So you've got people buying brand new cars that the transmission could go out three weeks later, and then I've got my Chevy Nova that drove thousands of miles up in the altitude in Denver with no issues. Uh, And then I was... A funny story about Novas, just uh, indulge me for a second. Uh, when the Novas first came out, uh, they were starting to be a, a popular, cheaper car in America. So Chevy uh, decided that they wanted to introduce the Chevy Nova to uh, Mexico and to some Latin countries. Uh, and this car was selling like crazy in America. But after they sold it, uh, they introduced it to Mexico. Nobody there was buying any of these Chevy Novas. And they couldn't figure out why. So finally, they asked someone that actually uh, spoke Spanish. And evidently, Nova in Spanish, and maybe I've got the story wrong, but Nova in Spanish means no go. So they're trying to sell these cars, and it's the Chevy no go. So nobody in Mexico would buy these cars. It has nothing to do with anything. But when I think of my Nova, I think of that. Um so save to pay cash for things, and uh, the third thing is you want to save uh, to invest. Proverbs 13.22 says that good people leave an inheritance to their grandchildren, but the sinner's wealth passes to the godly. And investing is not as complicated as you might think. You can take something as simple as $100 a month, like Some of us spend that much on Starbucks. You probably heard this said before. If you take $100 a month and stick it in just a basic mutual fund from age 30 to age 70, 
At age 70, when you're ready to retire, it would be $1.1 million. So for $100 a month, all of us in here could retire as millionaires. There's no reason for any of us to retire broke. Save to invest. The last thing that you can do with money, and this is the most fun, uh, is that you can give money, number five. And uh, we won't spend a ton of time on this one because you guys, probably any one of you that have been here for more than three weeks could get up here and talk for an hour on giving because we are such a big church on giving. We love to give. But Acts 20.35, it says to remember the words of Jesus. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, being able to give anytime you want, whatever you want, without worrying about it, is literally the most fun that you'll ever have with money. Uh, something that Dave Ramsey says is that if, if you eat enough lobster, eventually it all starts tasting like soap. <laughs> because eventually it's not fun to just buy a lot, you know, go out to eat all the time and spend stuff. It's more fun, it's more blessed to be able to give than to receive. So, I guess to wrap it all up, uh, really finance is just 20% knowledge, but it's really 80% behavior. If you don't do these principles, then they're not going to work. Uh, James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to the God's word. You must obey what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. There's that word fooling again. If you don't do these principles, you're just fooling yourself. So uh, if you really, if you want to learn even more about these principles, you can, like I've said, you can buy this uh, Total Money Makeover book in the bookstore, or you can come to Financial Peace University, which is just a nine-week class where we dig into this. We dig into to budgeting, into getting out of debt, uh, into how you can invest, like we were just talking about. It digs into a lot of that stuff. It, it's a, it's a nine-week course. Um, you can sign up uh, at htwc.org slash fpu, um, and there, you do have to, to buy the course. It's not my course. It's someone else. Uh, it's Dave Ramsey's course, uh, and they've got – I think it's actually on sale right now until the end of the month. Uh, so if you're interested, I would check it out today, htwc.org slash fpu. But we're going to do it on Monday, September 13th will be our first class. A lot of times uh, we do it on Sundays or Wednesdays, but then I found out that a lot of – the people at church can't come because they're working in the nursery or something. And so I wanted to do it on a Monday night this year. So anybody that wants to come can come. I'm going to try to have child care for anybody that needs child care, but it'll be like $2 per child per night. Um, but if you're on the fence about it, then I would uh, encourage you just come check out the first class for free. It's going to be on the 13th at uh, uh, 6 p.m. And uh, I do have a quick video I want to show that just shows. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.